uh, today's Bible reading, sermon Bible reading, is it the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 6 and 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it, it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word now, I pray that what I say might speak your truth clearly, that we might thirst for righteousness and live as salt and light in your world. Amen. It's incredible how we can take even the best of things and make them all about us. Uh, and that's really been the dominant theme over the last couple of weeks, as Jesus uses these three examples to say, stop doing the right things for the wrong reasons. So, so far, uh, we've talked about giving to the needy and prayer, and today we're talking about fasting, but it could really apply to sort of any good, godly action or act of kindness. In the first century culture, it was kind of acceptable to draw attention to yourself so people could see your generosity and, and see your religious devotion. Uh, I think perhaps culturally it's still accepted more broadly. You know, we've got things like Instagram and Facebook and all these other wonderful ways of showing how wonderful you are. But amongst Christians, it's not so acceptable. Uh, we know uh, that we should value humility and modesty. Uh, but even at our best, when we're trying to be godly and discreet and store up reward in heaven uh, rather than reward on earth, there's still so often this sort of niggling hope that there will be some reward now. Yeah. You know, that people will notice and out of that comes a little bit of respect or a little bit of thanks or a little bit of a well done. And so Jesus is saying to this crowd, you know, do things uh, not to show your generosity before other people, but simply to honour God. So instead of doing things to be seen, do them to simply be seen by God. So these three examples are primarily a challenge about our motivation, how we give and how we pray and how we fast. But there's still this assumption that we will do these things. And I reckon the first two are pretty easy. You know, we all agree uh, that we should give to the needy and we should pray. Uh, we may or may not do them well, totally different question, but as Christians we agree that we should do them. But I reckon fasting has got to be the very poor cousin. Now I won't do a show of hands of who's been fasting lately because that would be squandering your reward in heaven. But... <laughs> I suspect for most of us, me included, uh, that you might never have fasted, at least not with any sort of intention of honouring God. Now, fasting for surgery does not count. 
But I suspect also that, you know, we've got to a point now where, you know, we've ducked and weaved, you can only duck and weave for so long, and we've finally come to this passage where you go, okay, we've actually got to deal with it. What does the Bible actually say to us? Because I think up to this point, I've just tried to be conveniently ignorant, because I'm reasonably sure what it does say, and I'm not totally happy about it. <laughs> but what does it say? And how do we honour God in this? And for me, this is a little bit of a rebuke, but interestingly, perhaps not in the way I anticipated. Uh, so let's get to the big picture context. If we're going to look at fasting, only a few verses here, but let's see what they have to say in the context of the whole Bible. And so for starters, fasting in the Bible is not about control over what we eat. It's not about hunger or something like abstaining from morning tea. Okay, so you can go out this morning, have morning tea, absolutely guilt-free. Okay, hunger, um, so fasting is not about simply hunger being a form of godliness in its own right. And it's not the God-honouring opposite of gluttony. So it's a demonstration of our commitment to Christ by giving up something that we love. And in this case, it's food. And so it might be an expression of contrition, uh, where we acknowledge the sin that we have done and we are sorry for it. Uh, it might be an expression of humility, or it might be an expression of devotion. Uh, so let's have a, a brief survey of what the Bible has to say, and then some of the implications for us. There's only actually one specific command in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament law, sorry, to fast. And that's Leviticus 16. He says, On the day of atonement, the people are to have a day of Sabbath rest and they're to deny themselves. So this is a day where they come together as a nation to recognise their sin before God. And so there's a sense of humility, there's a sense of acknowledging the sin uh, that they've committed, and there's a sense of seeking his forgiveness and his mercy. In the book of Joel, we have a similar example. So this is what it says. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Render your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. So this is a bigger picture than simply the Day of Atonement and that once a year coming together to acknowledge sin. This is about a fundamental reorienting of a whole nation who have rejected the God who has called them to be his chosen people. But the value of fasting is not in the actual fasting. You know, fasting itself doesn't do anything, any more than rendering your garment does anything. It only has value if it becomes a reflection of our heart. So for Israel, it should be a reflection of a genuine cut-to-the-heart realisation that they have forsaken their God. So we can fast for the right reasons, uh, but we can just as easily uh, fast for the wrong reasons. We see that in the book of Isaiah, where he actually condemns Israel's fasting because it's become a cheap religious substitute for actual, genuine, loving God and genuinely seeking to live in a way that honours him. And we read Isaiah uh, 58 to, um, in our earlier reading, 
but it is just such a good example of what you know religious or religiosity looks like in the worst way possible. You know, so he's talking about fasting, but just as easily we could be talking about coming to church or sharing in communion. Uh, it's quite a long passage, but it's such a good critique. And I'm going to read it again uh, for us. So let's hear it in the context of fasting, but just generally about how we seek to honour God with our behaviours and what behaviours actually are honouring. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So to be clear, this is not a social justice gospel where seeking a fairer society becomes a substitute for seeking the Lord or for salvation. And it's not about caring for the oppressed as a way of finding favour with God and earning our forgiveness or earning our salvation. We can only be saved through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But it is about caring for what God cares about. Because that is who we are. As we are followers of Christ, then we care about what God cares about. So as we think about fasting, we, you know, we might be a little bit uncomfortable by the idea that we don't really fast, but I hope we feel enormously uncomfortable by the fact that so often we fail to care. So Joel and Isaiah are directed to the whole nation. Uh, but a far more personal example of fasting was King David. And it's still in the context of sin, but the emphasis here is more on an expression of his sincerity before God as he pleads to God for mercy. So many of us will know the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, David uh, sees Bathsheba. He has an adulterous relationship with her. And as a result, she becomes pregnant. Uh, he then tries to sort of manipulate her husband to cover up his sin. And when that fails, he arranges for his, that husband to be killed. And so when David is confronted by his sin, he is overwhelmed and he repents before God for what he's done. But he's also told that that child will die. Uh, it is a gut-wrenchingly tragic story on every level. And so to pick up the story, 
David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. So here, fasting becomes an expression of humbling himself before God and pleading for mercy. But it's also a painful reminder that God does not always answer the prayers that we want him to answer in the way that we want. And there is no promise that God will change his mind in his will for a situation. So all we can do is bring our request to God and beg for mercy and show our sincerity. Uh, when we get to the New Testament, uh, the tone around fasting changes uh, dramatically. Uh, it doesn't have the same emphasis on sin and expressing remorse or seeking forgiveness. Uh, there's still that sense of humbling, but it's less about contrition and more about expressing devotion and seeking God's will. Uh, we know historically that the Pharisees fasted twice a week, so two days a week, uh, which is, you know, from our perspective, quite impressive, and that, that was part of that culture. They wanted to show how impressive they were, how devoted they were to God. Uh, we know the disciples didn't fast at all, but Jesus anticipates a time when they will fast. So when asked about his disciples fasting, Jesus says uh, to the people asking, he answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Uh, the difficulty with that passage is, is the context. So they're going to fast as a practice uh, once Jesus has, has died and gone to be with his father, or they're going to fast in response to his death as they grieve and mourn what has happened. And probably more likely it's the second one. But I think the two most helpful examples or glimpses of fasting in the New Testament in the book of Acts. So in Acts 13, we read how the early church fasted and prayed, and it appears to be just part of their normal practice as they come together. So it's not just personal and private, but it's corporate. So this is what it says. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Yeah, such a, a brief description, but quite a, a wonderful picture of that early church. There's this posture again of humility and joy and earnestness. You know, they love God and they are genuinely seeking his will for them. And while they're fasting and praying, uh, God speaks and, and reveals his plan for Paul and Barnabas. Uh, it's a good challenge for us, isn't it? You know, how, what's sort of the attitude we come to church on Sunday? You know, do we come to church with that same sense of fervour and anticipation? You know, earnestly desiring to worship God, but also earnestly desiring to know His will for us. You know, He's gathered us, this little community, in this place at this time. You know, what does He want us to do for Him together? In Acts 14, again, we see prayer and fasting, and again, we see it in the context of appointing leaders. So this time it's Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. 
And so Paul and Barnabas, they're going from uh, city to city and they're establishing little churches in those cities. And part of their role is to then uh, uh, appoint people to be leaders in that community. And that's a significant role, isn't it? Their job is going to be to shepherd God's people. It's not a light decision. And so they pray and fast, you know, pray and fast, you know, seeking God's will. Who's the right person to be leading in this place? And so the fasting becomes this outward symbol of their deep desire to know God's will for this community. So in one sense, everything we pray about is significant. And so you can say, well, any time is a good time to pray and fast because we always want to posture ourselves before God as genuinely seeking to honour Him and to know His will for us. Of course, you can do all of that without fasting, but there is something about physical expressions, isn't there? You know, there are some behaviours that sort of represent, and perhaps even better represent, what we're trying to express on the inside. And that's really what fasting is about. It's not about religious compliance. It's about coming before God and saying, God, I really want to know what you're thinking in this situation. I really want to praise you. I really want to acknowledge that I'm humbling myself before you because you are God and you are my Lord and you are my Saviour. So any time is a good time to fast if that's what we want to express. And if you want to come to church and fast before you come or fast on the day you're at church, then go for it. But it's between you and God. And that brings us to our actual passage, I know it took a little while, of what it says about fasting when we fast. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And now the point here is not that oil should become part of your daily cleansing routine, <coughs> Uh, the point is we should be turning up as if there is nothing to see here. So when we turn up, we shouldn't look any worse uh, than we normally look. Uh, for some, the significant look much better. But it shouldn't look any worse. And actually, yeah, for the legalist amongst us who loves a good loophole, uh, you shouldn't look any better. We're not trying to dress ourselves up to make it obvious that something, you know, where we sort of overplay our hand. Yeah, and we shouldn't be fishing for attention. You know, those subtle references to how wonderful morning tea looks today. And gee, I wish I could have some. And we certainly shouldn't turn up being grumpy. You know, you know referring back to that Isaiah passage where they're, they're fasting on one hand, so here's some behaviour that's supposed to be godly, and in the meantime they're, they're fighting with each other because they're hungry and grumpy. Uh, you know, if we're going to fast, the whole point is to be godly. Uh, and so if it leads to ungodliness, well, that's completely defeating the purpose. And if we did fast as a church, uh, if there was a decision which we, as a church we said we want to come before God and we want to fast together, then we would certainly do it in a way where no one really knows who's participating. But there's that sense of we are earnestly desiring God's will for that situation. And that will be one expression of how we express our devotion and desire. So let me see if I can bring all of this together. Uh, fasting is self-sacrificial. And it's an expression of humility, devotion, genuine sorrow for sin and sincerity. Uh, fasting in itself is useless. In fact, it's offensive. Uh, because by itself, without obedience, it simply becomes religion with no heart. 
And so it can never be a substitute for giving to the needy or caring for the vulnerable or seeking justice for the oppressed. It doesn't mean that we don't fast, but in the words of Jesus, you should practice the latter without neglecting the former. And when we fast, we fast to be seen by God and by no one else. And so the Bible tells us how to fast. It doesn't really say an awful lot about when to fast, but you might choose to fast uh, before coming to church. We might choose to fast when there's something particularly significant that you want to bring to God. And words alone just aren't enough to express how you feel about things. As a church, we might fast about where God wants us to go in a particular direction or a staff appointment. But I think for me, the biggest challenge from this passage and you know, reading what the rest of the Bible has to say about fasting isn't actually fasting. Uh, the biggest challenge is, do I come before God with a sense of fervour that's reflected in that attitude that comes with fasting? You know, desperate to show my love for God, uh, desperate to live out God's will for me, desperate to care about the things that God cares about. And if we're struggling with that, if we're struggling with the attitude about heart, well, maybe that's something we should fast and pray about. But if we do, only God will know. But let me pray. Dear Lord, help us to love you with all our heart. We don't want to be religious and go through the motions. We want to know the joy of your salvation and your will for us. So please, Lord, render our hearts that we might live to honour you.